it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We're going to be joined by Mike Sorelli, uh, retired Navy SEAL, former recon Marine, uh, and uh, Talent War Group CEO and Legacy Expedition co-founder, author of a brand new book, The Everyday Warrior. You're going to love to hear from him. And then at the bottom of the hour, Lieutenant General uh, Keith Kellogg, fresh off another visit to Ukraine, where the president is right now, just wrapped up some generic remarks, and is going to meet with the um, uh, the uh, Bucharest Nine, and they are the nine Eastern, Pyrene, Eastern European nations who quickly came over to NATO after the collapse of the Soviet Union and are most worried about what's happening in the Ukraine. So we'll follow that. And the President of the United States also picked up the phone and called East Palestine because he and everybody else in his administration dropped the ball. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. Biden administration doesn't have a strategy to win. And that's why people are starting to question it. Because the president keeps saying, as long as it takes, that means another unending war. If he laid out a strategy and said, here's how we're going to win, here's the goal, here's what we're going to provide them, then people would rally to that. Yeah, it takes too long. And... And whatever it takes even ticks off the Ukrainians. Speeches made blustered. Speeches made blustered on all sides delivered as Ukraine digs in for year two of Russia's war of choice. What the Biden administration has not done, loudly call out China and ignoring Russian sanctions and threatening to give Russia weapons. How about that? Number two. We are in the middle of this national identity crisis, Tucker, where we have celebrated our diversity and our differences for so long that we forgot all of the ways we're really just the same. And that's why I'm proud to say tonight that I am running for United States president. Vivek Ramaswamy uh, saying he is now in. 2024 Republican field welcomes another and is about to welcome more. Who is on deck and who stepped up? Number one. When are you going to go to East Palestine? Well, I am planning to go, and uh, <laughs> our folks were on the ground from the first hours. I do want to stress that the NTSB needs to be able to do its work independently. Is this unbelievable? Is he the worst? Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg. Now you're coming. Pete Buttigieg is finally ready to head to East Palestine three weeks after the toxic derailment, which has turned the region upside down. I'm talking about the governor of Pennsylvania was there yesterday. The governor of Ohio was there yesterday. Congressman uh, Bill Johnson was there yesterday uh, trying to make sense of what's happening on the ground. Now, you have our Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, who keeps saying, I don't want to go there and just do a photo op. It's up to you to make it a photo op, or you can make it a legitimate question and answer period. Excuse me, how do you feel about uh, that chemical, uh, the $1,000? Is that enough to get you through? Here's some water. What else do you need? What, do you, what exactly is the smell? What exactly is the, what does the water look like? What does the town feel? What is it like to have all your games, all your teams refuse to play your team in a in the East Palestine gym, the Palestine gym? Uh, when are they going to be able to get back on track? Could they go a long way to dispelling what some people say is healthy water and air in certain spots by showing up? But he didn't call. He didn't act. 
And I think it's interesting, while he's having a Twitter war with Senator Marco Rubio, you think we'd have better things to do. He did admit uh, when he's wrong, which is rarely happening. And by the way, the president, the former president of the United States is going to be there. The transportation secretary said the facts don't lie. The 2021 letter you signed uh, was obviously drafted by the railroad industry lobbyist. It supports waivers that would reduce visual track visual track inspections. Now, will you vote to help us toughen rail safety? That's in response to Marco Rubio, who said this. Secretary Pete was MIA in the derailment. Then he lies to the media, claiming my 2021 letter calling for more track inspection was calling for deregulation. He is incompetent, who is focused solely on his fantasies about his own political future and needs to be fired. So that's what's happening. And what did Pete judge say? He said, well, I do think that it's important to speak out about everything, and I could have spoken out sooner, and I'm making sure that we are focused on the actions that are going to make a difference. Yeah, that would be nice. Actions to make a difference, like showing up. Cut one. When are you going to go to East Palestine? Well, I am planning to go, and uh, our folks were on the ground from the first hours. I do want to stress that the NTSB needs to be able to do its work independently. But when I go, the focus is going to be on action. Look, I was mayor of my hometown for eight years. We dealt with a lot of disasters, natural and human. And one of the things I noticed very quickly is that there's two kinds of people who show up when you have that kind of disaster experience. People who are there because they have a specific job to do and are there to get something done and people who are there to look good and have their picture taken when i go it will be about action on rail safety yeah that'll be action on rail safety so the thought of him as mayor of south bend dealing with natural disasters is comical number one he wasn't a good mayor he wasn't well respected he didn't do a great job Ronald McDaniel, RNC chairwoman, said Buttigieg couldn't even fix potholes as mayor. He was a failed mayor and a disaster at transportation secretary. He should resign. Tommy Peugeot, the RNC rapid response director, says Buttigieg couldn't even fix potholes as mayor. He needed Domino's to step in. That's true. Domino's pitched in money to fix roads because he wasn't providing it and he wasn't taking action. Ian Hayworth, the Washington Examiner, writes, the biggest disaster to strike South Bend, Indiana, was Pete Buttigieg. So that's what's going on. He's an embarrassment. He refuses to act, stubbornly still doesn't go. He says it's all about photo ops. It's not. And you will see today that former President Trump will arrive. And he's bringing water with him. And he's bringing relief with him. He's bringing aid. Uh, He is going to be They're shutting down the schools because they expect such hoopla. 70% of the people voted for him. We know he won the state by eight points. I just hope that that isn't the reason why this administration is not responding. Now, I know you can't postpone a trip like this, marking the one-year mark since a war started. But what would stop President Biden from stopping there before he left? Nothing. Here's Governor Chris Sununu. He was on special report last night and very well might be a presidential candidate. Cut seven. Should they have gone there first before the president made this thing in Ukraine? Well, it wouldn't have been an issue if they were on the ground on day one, right? If they were smart and on the ground on day one, then they would have been there. They could have listened. They could have had some transparency, restored confidence, and you could still make your trip to Ukraine and and whatever it is. So, again, I think they're just looking for a lot of flag waving as opposed to understanding how to solve their problems. You've got to know how these systems work and what's going on the ground and that anxiety that our average Americans feel to have leadership that understands how to fix it. Yeah, and lastly, on 2024, Chris Sununu was asked. He's not ready to make a, a, a statement yet. Mike Pence was pressed. He, he's supposed to be joining us uh, tomorrow at some point. And it looks like he's running, if you ask me. Obviously, this book did extremely well. That certainly helped sell his cause. 
Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is in. He was on with Tucker last night. Uh, here's a little of his announcement, Cut 8. We are in the middle of this national identity crisis, Tucker, where we have celebrated our diversity and our differences for so long that we forgot all of the ways we're really just the same as Americans. That- Got it. Understood. He's a smart guy, self-made success story. We need more people like that in powerful positions. Nikki Haley, yesterday, on the biggest story with her, running against Donald Trump. What policies do you differ? How do you differ? What's going to happen when he takes off the gloves? Cut 14. President Trump is my friend. Um, I called him before I did this. We had a good conversation. He was the right president at the right time. He broke the things that needed to be broken, and he worked to fix them. The reason I'm running is we got to move forward. We got to move forward. We can't keep dealing with these issues in the past. And I think that we need a young generation of leaders. And that's why she's running. But that question is going to come up constantly. And sooner or later, if she starts getting in the polls, President Trump will take fire. I will start firing away. And you just got to be ready. Whatever your strategy is, you got to have one. I'm not sure she has one yet. We'll see. All right, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Mike Sorelli's next, the Navy SEAL. Got a great message for the next generation of possible leaders and what's wrong with this generation. And then a lot of moving parts over in Poland before the president left. He's now in a closed-door meeting with uh, Bucharest, uh, uh, Bucharest 9. So he's going to get an earful from them, hopefully, and probably, I hope, at the end, pledge to get them the, we- the weapons they need, the Ukrainians, to be successful. Because time is not on their side. We'll talk about it. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, we are back. With me right now in studio, uh, Mike Sorelli. Back, I should say, a retired Navy SEAL, former recon uh, Marine. He's also author of a brand new book, uh, The Everyday Warrior. Uh, it's his pushback against, uh, against what's happening right now in this country. We're raising a lot of weak people and how to turn it around. If, if that's you or someone you know. Uh, Mike, what prompted you to write this? So uh, our firm, Talent Work Group, we work mainly leadership development on the private sector side, and uh, we fo- focus on the aggregate performance. And uh, like clockwork, after a keynote or a, uh, a workshop, people would come and ask, this is great, love these principles, how do I implement it at a personal level? And so that's when I would go into the, the warriors I served with. I never used myself as an example. If I've seen further, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants, as Isaac Newton said. And I talked about these amazing men and women that I served with, all the positive habits, the best practices, how they were kind, empathetic, and, uh, and respectful. And uh, started to come up with a concept called The Everyday Warrior, for which Men's Journal then heard about it on a podcast, reached out, 
asked me to to lead that initiative for Men's Journal to help their audience sort of lead a more purpose-driven, fulfilling, and impactful life. And the thing took off. But I, I love leadership and del- development. I love coaching and mentoring because I had such great mentors, and a lot of those mentors were my, my peers. And so if I can drive impact and help one person just maybe laser in on, on what they want to achieve in life, then then that's a victory in itself. I mean, everyone's got hurdles. It seems like the, there's a generation of people, not all, that feel when they have a hurdle, they want to blame. Uh, and they shouldn't have to try to clear that hurdle instead of welcoming that hurdle. So, you know, adversity and challenge just offers opportunity for growth. It does. But uh, we have a dangerous narrative uh, that nothing is your fault. And because someone has so much, you have so little. And as I, as I said earlier, victimhood requires no effort whatsoever. Uh, and when you enter yourself into that category, uh, you discount your agency and your sovereignty over your ability to control your outcomes. I, I tell a story of, in the book of Rob Jones, Marine, lost both legs in Afghanistan due, an I, due to an IED. And uh, Rob could have fell in the victim category, but instead he became the hero of his own book. Uh, he's done f- just amazing things, ran 31 marathons in 31 days on his blades, uh, ran an unsuccessful run for uh, for Congress in in the state of Virginia, and the guy's writing a book. So, you know, I'm not saying that people aren't victims of crime or or bad circumstances, but when you have a positive warrior-like mindset, it doesn't safeguard you Mm -hmm. from hardship, but it helps prepare you to respond and react in a positive and healthy way when you you run into adversity or a challenge. You got to be resourceful. Yeah. So listen, um, we're not saying that everyone's cut out to be a Navy SEAL, uh, the physically, mentally, but everyday life is going to have hurdles. You're not going to get that job you want. You're not going to get the yeah. school you think you deserve. Uh, you're not going to maybe get the girl or guy that you thought you, you were going to. Uh, there might be a situation where you're in East Palestine and suddenly your house, which you invested in, is now worth a fraction of what it is because of a train derailment that had nothing to do with you. And that if you have the mindset that you're talking about, you put together a plan to conquer that. Exactly. And uh, I don't know if you've been told, but yeah, I, I was a Navy SEAL. I am. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm retired now, but I still face a lot of hardship. I still have a lot of anxiety, stress, doubt uh, in myself. That's that's normal. Hard choices in life lead to an easy life down the road. Making the easy choices that require no effort will lead to a hard life that nobody wants to read about. So life is fraught with peril. That's just life. Uh, there's no way to sugarcoat that. How you approach it with your mindset. Being a warrior is not about profession at all. It's not about carrying a gun. Being a warrior, warrior is about a mindset that you welcome challenge, that this day is going to be tougher than the next, and that's what you're here for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, it doesn't make things easier. I still uh, suffer failure, and I get in the fetal position sometimes for about an hour. But then uh, I go through a process to, to recognize what went wrong, what did I learn from it, and more importantly, what do I do about it moving forward? If I face the same challenge, I can circumvent around it or, or overcome it. And here's the other thing. If you ever meet people that say, yeah, I don't know what's next for me, you know, I'm, they, they seem kind of blah, they, they work over there at a five, it just it actually underlines for me the fact that people need a little stress in their life. Yeah. They need something that keeps them on edge, a reason to go out there and be motivated to change things. When that goes away, you also look at, then you get introspective and go, what am I doing? Like, what's my purpose? So we talk in the book, there's, there's a phrase used in the special operations community, and I'd never heard it before I joined the military, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And it made no sense uh, at first. The instructors would say it, and they would laugh amongst themselves. So there's a reason special operations training puts those young men and women through hell. It's not because they're sadistic. 
it's proven that when you put somebody outside their mental and physical comfort zones, not only does true character emerge, but coincidentally, that's where learning and growth take place. So companies or organizations that continually push their people outside those limits and then give them the rest and reflection necessary see growth and development in those people. In a nation where we are comfortable, comfortable, people get in that rut and they stop putting themselves in stressful situations. Your attributes, your character is like a muscle. If you go to the gym and work it out, followed by periods mm-hmm. of rest, it will grow. But if you just stop working your, your, your mental fitness, your, your character attributes, then atrophy sets in and you will wither. I, let me tell you this story. So we went to Everest. We skydived into Everest in 2021. And as we're walking the trail to get where we need to go, we're watching kids getting bathed. And you it just had casually to be, said that. I yeah, skydived I, into uh, to Mount Everest. Oh, but go ahead. I, I, was the, I was surrounded by guys who were a lot better than me, and that's usually the case in my life. I, I, I like to say I was always the bridesmaid, never the bride, right. uh, never the all-star in any of my teams. But, man, I was part of some pretty awesome teams, yeah. and, and we always won. That's all that matters to me. But kids being bathed in what had to be 50-degree water, if not colder, and just sitting there staring at us while, while we're walking by where I, if I was that kid – Having grown up in America, I would have been screaming bloody murder. Uh, we have gotten way too comfortable, and we've allowed our children to get way too comfortable. And ultimately, here's, here's my issue, and we don't really tackle it in the book. But Can I, can I just bring yeah. some up? When I'm reading about the, after, the, after the Revolutionary War, I'm reading from parents and say, we've gotten so soft. Where's the spirit of 76 when the War of 1812 no happens? Kidding. And then when after the Civil War, it's 1878, 1879, I'm studying that, and people are saying how soft we got. Where's the rugged... Where's the generation of war fighters that we had prior? So this, to me, is not unusual. It's, uh, Pat, you know, history repeats itself. I will say this. This is what, what, what scares me. So one of the principles in the military that uh, a good leader once told me, he said, hey, Mike, if you forget all leadership principles, just remember this one. Set the example. And he also said, people will be what people can see. So, you know, my generation needs to look in the mirror because we have to ask ourselves, are we setting the example for the next generation to follow? Are we showing them what right looks like? Not flawless execution or, or perfection, but are we showing them what, what, what some semblance of right looks like? And I think if we look at the headlines, mm. we're not doing that right now. Tell me if you buy this. You can control your effort, not your outcome. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of people say, I'm a loser, but I don't get it. But if you did everything possible to get it and you don't get it, you should be proud of that. You've learned. You've grown. That's why with failure, smirk. Right. you, you got to reframe failure. Uh Again, I've said it, it's not an indictment of your worth or, or an assessment of your ability to achieve your outcomes. But if you want to hear a story, uh, Operation Desert Eagle was the, the, seconds. the, the, yeah. uh, the, the failed rescue attempt uh, for, for the Iranian hostages. But uh, that has been a watershed moment in special operations history from which we've grown. Yeah, yeah. you've revolutionized everything since then. Pick up the everyday warrior. Mike Cirelli, great to see you. Thank you, brother. Again, I should yes. say. Back in a moment. With uh, General Keith Kellogg. Uh, He is going to talk about his trip to Ukraine. He just got back. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I speak once more to the people of Russia. The United States and the nations of Europe 
do not seek to control or destroy Russia. The West was not plotting to attack Russia, as Putin said today. And millions of Russian citizens who only want to live in peace with their neighbors are not the enemy. This war is never a necessity. It's a tragedy. President Putin chose this war. Every day the war continues. There you go. That's a little of uh, President Biden uh, of his remarks. He shouted his way through it. Uh, It was more of a rally setting. Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, just fresh off another trip to Ukraine, joins us now. Fox News contributor, I should add as well. Uh, General, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you. General, what I, I, I've heard a couple of things. I'm glad we're going to go say in Ukraine. I think that if the president doesn't realize there's not an infinite amount of time for him to help Ukraine get this victory, he is not based in reality. I'm talking to a lot of people who are not comfortable spending this type of money. I see the merit in it. You see the merit in it. Does he understand that speed matters? No, I don't think he does, Brian. I think he's making a ma- major mistake. I, it's, I sit here listening to him like you did this morning. It's almost like, who's he talking to? You know, he's not talking to Putin. He's not talking to the American people. He's not d- describing why this is important, why Russia is a strategic adversary and you can take him off the table. And, and yet we're not even providing them the equipment that they've been asking for. And we've been talking about giving them. So we say, well, we're giving them equipment. No, we're not. The equipment hadn't even showed up, shown up yet, and we're getting ready to see a significant escalation of fighting in, in, between Ukrainians and Russians in the spring and the summer. There's going to be major offenses by both sides, uh, and it's going to be really catastrophic. What I mean by catastrophic is one-third of Ukraine is now are refugees. They've lost – Ukraine's lost over 100,000 soldiers. The Russians have lost killed. The Russians have lost over 150, almost 200,000 killed. They've lost – Huge amounts of equipment. I mean, it's going to be a huge fight going on. And it's almost like he's just talking. I wish he would get away from the old teleprompter or the speech and actually stand up and talk to the American people, which he has not done. And the, the big thing, and I've said this repeatedly, and Trump would have done it, you know, nine months ago, pick up the phone and call Putin and explain quite clearly what we intend to do after he talks to the American people and then give Putin an option. The option is quite clear. You either lose your army in Ukraine which means you fall and Europe is basically changed for the next generation, or we're going to kill it. And we're going to kill it through Ukrainians. Not a single American soldier is going to be there, but we're going to use the kit that's in place out there, the kit we had developed to defeat the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact. I, I just shake my head, Brian. Every time I hear him, it's almost like he's not talking about reality. You know, I know, by the way, just as a side, I would also like him to go to New Palestine, Ohio, and maybe to the border. While you're at it, we can chew bubble gum and walk at the same time, I think. I don't know if he can, but I think that's what you should be able to do. Uh, Russia's lost 2,000 tanks, too, uh, they say. And now these new trained soldiers, they've got to be worse. And we are, So in other words, they, have, they say 97% of his fighting force is in Ukraine. And we know that he's got new trainees who never intended to be in the military, who were drafted in, and now probably ill-trained. The other guys couldn't fight, and they were trained. Now these guys are going in there. How formidable will they be, or are they just going to be cannon fodder? They're going to be cannon fodder, but the Russians are starting to fight, Brian, the way they used to fight in World War II, the way that I remember the Russians fought. This is where the weather Swanson's going to fight during the height of the Cold War when we thought they were going to cross the full gap in Germany and go against NATO. They fight with massive artillery, and they use... They just use mass wave attacks. We're starting to see there that happening right now, and in 
certain fighting around Ukraine where they're committing a lot of forces just to make them make a penetration of Ukrainian lines. Uh, this is the way they fight. Um, and we need to get ready for that. And the Ukrainians need to get ready for that. What did you uh, see and, when you were over there, General? Well, what what I saw, which was really kind of one, I saw the resiliency of the Ukrainian people, which was impressive. The second is they were very committed to fighting. They're not going to negotiate uh, they, because they believe that these, you know, they basically not only killed Ukrainians, but destroyed Mariupol as a city and Izium as a city. And when I talk to the military officials, they say, look, just give us the kit. We don't want American troops on the ground. Just give us the fit, the, the kit, and, and we'll fight. And, you know, I travel. It's, 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 it's almost surreal, Brian. You know, the, the eastern one-third of the country is where the war is being fought. But the western two-thirds, there's nothing going on. It's pretty quiet. I mean, you can drive over there, and the gas stations are wide open, and there's no problem. Now, there's no air traffic and limited rail traffic. But the major fight is in the east. But that's the heart of, of Ukraine, because that's the industrial heartland of Ukraine. The rest is agrarian. Uh, and they've all – and some of the things I saw that were amazing, I went to Kharkiv, which is to the east, city of 1.5 million, totally blacked out at night, 100 percent blacked out. I mean it was like Philadelphia being in blackout because there's no power. And then I looked at the side of the walls as I was walking around the city, and this shows the fighting tenacity of the Ukrainians. On the sides of the buildings were massive posters that showed citizens how to build Molotov cocktails, that basically they said, we're going to fight in the streets. So they're committed to this fight. They don't like the Russians. They don't want the they don't want the Russians to occupy that part of the country. And they're going to fight. And and if my take on this is, we don't give them equipment. That's fine. They're going to find fight with rocks and sticks and stones. They're going to fight it out. Um, it's really amazing to see that they love Americans, but they love their freedom more. It's sort of like we sort of like our American Revolution. And, and I have no idea why Putin keeps thinking this is part of Russia. They are not. They've been independent for over 30 years uh, when they broke away from the Soviet Union, and they're willing to fight it out. We just have to explain to the American people why it's our strategic interest to do so. Look, I firmly believe this war should never have started, Brian. And I don't think it, you know, the 2014 Crimea took cold under Obama. Putin, uh, I'm sorry, Biden made the comment that, you know, well, they could have limited incursion was going to be okay. You know, Trump would have never allowed that to happen. But now that we're into the fight and supporting Ukraine, we need to go all in. And we just haven't done it. We haven't. Uh, now, China has their foreign minister there, I believe, uh, met with Vladimir Putin. It looks like in May to celebrate the World War II victory over Germany, the role that they played. I think they lost millions of people in doing it. Uh, they were invaded, by the way. Uh, they are going to ask uh, President Xi to be there. Most likely he'll be there. He says he's going to arrive with his idea for a peace plan, his own position paper. Uh, so far, Stoltenberg, the NATO uh, chancellor, had it and said it's very vague. Here's what Robert O'Brien said about China and what their position is in on this. Cut 17. The Chinese benefit from these treaties. The Chinese aren't involved in them. They aren't bound by them. So we're binding our ability to build, for example, intermediate-range nuclear or intermediate-range missiles. The Chinese built thousands of them. We didn't build any of them. They, they developed a great advantage over us. And they're, the same thing on the START Treaty. They'll, they'll have more ICBM missiles in two or three years than we have in our inventory. And you combine that with the Russians, and we're outgunned two to one. So, you know, I, I'm not too concerned about the Russians suspending their involvement in the treaty. But what we need to do is make sure we rebuild our defenses and, and modernize our nuclear triad, which President Trump started doing, 
so that we're not held at, uh, there's no nuclear blackmail that can be used against us by either China or Russia. Tell me what you think of this theory. So they get out of the nuclear, uh, they get out of this nuclear deal, start the new START deal that was signed by Barack Obama that President Trump wanted to get out of because the Russians were cheating. And President Biden says, no, 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 we're going to, I'll resign that. Don't worry about it. Again, weakness. We think it's, uh, we think it's peace. They say it's weak. So the problem is, and you guys said this, China is doing whatever they want. They have more ICBMs fixed in, uh, fixed in mobile than we have. But they're not, they didn't sign any treaty. They don't want to sign a treaty. So we can't sign with Russia if we're going to lose to China. China doesn't mind us being bogged down there, and they also don't want Russia to lose. So do you think longer is better for China? Oh, yeah. The longer this goes on, of course it's better for China because we have no focus in on, on what's happening with that growing adversary. But this has happened for the last 25 years. We are focused in on the Middle East. We are focused in on Afghanistan. We couldn't chew bubblegum or walk at the same time. Then Europe starts. We start focusing on Ukraine. We keep looking. We keep looking away from China. That's the reason I want to end this fight as quickly as we can so we can focus in on China. And, and Robert was exactly right. You know, when we when we looked at it in the Trump administration on the New START Treaty, we wanted to bring China in. And China said, nope, I don't want anything to do with a nuclear treaty. That was a real indicator to us that they were doing a major breakout, which they've done, and building the new um, ICBM silos, the, the fixed silos, and, and also the yeah. mobile launchers. Because when you build fixed silos, we used to call it the sponge theory. That absorbs your attack. In other words, you have to use so many missiles to take out the, the fixed sites that then we have to then they can get away with using the, either the submarines or the, the bombers, which they haven't gotten to yet. And what Robert said about building the triad is right. Look, we need to develop, we need to create and build more and much more, more faster the Columbia class submarine, which is going to replace the current boomers, the boosting uh, missile subs that we currently have. And we need to, we are starting to create our. Our, our, our bomber fleet, which we did, started under President Trump with the B-21 Raider. And, and then, of course, we need to upgrade the Miniman 3 missiles. And we need to keep the triad strong because that's really our protection. But the Chinese are doing a major breakout. And you just ha- it, and we just haven't made that pivot to them. And that's my frustration. It's almost like, guys, guys, they're over there to the right. Look over there to the right. Get rid of this thing in Europe. And if we defeat, help to defeat the Soviets, I'm sorry, that's, that's a Freudian, but the Russians in Europe, then we can downsize a little bit in NATO. We don't have to spend as much money because the strategic adversary in Europe has been crippled and it'll change for generations. So we can, we can really pivot hard to China, both in air and in sea, because that war in China will be an air and war, air war and a sea war much more than a ground war. So when you look at China and the conventional missile arsenal, if we are in a shooting war with them in 2027, as some have predicted, uh, how do we deal with it? Yeah, well, right now we can penetrate. We've got the bombers to get there, the B-21s to be able to penetrate, much like the B-1B and also the B-2 bombers can, can actually penetrate. And you basically take them to risk. And what I mean by risk, you can actually you know, hurt their missile fields. They're not going to invade anybody because they're not going to commit their ground forces like to their neighbors. But their war is primarily going to be a war pushing us out of the primarily the Western Pacific. Because they want to take that first island chain, and if you look at the first island chain, that starts with Japan and goes down to Taiwan, and it, and it goes into the Philippines as well. And they want to move us out of that, much like the Japanese did in World War II, and move us to what's called the second island chain. 
And then that, that frees them up to hold and control economically the South China Sea because we, have got, we won't have any presence. And it's, their buildup is going to force us to move our carriers back uh, and also our air wings back. And, and we're looking at our first line of defense would be Guam which is a significant distance away. So, so this is all part of the strategic, the, the strategic view everybody needs to take with what's happening in Europe and then also with China. Trump had that. We talked really long and hard. And he talked about his last two years, we talked about decoupling. And that was to basically decouple from China, which every year we have a $350 billion trade deficit. And said so we basically built their military through this trade deficit that we have with them. And we need to start looking at them as an adversary. You know, when you look at them, they're not a competitor. Biden talks about a competitor. France is a competitor. China is an adversary. Yeah, uh, we understand that. Uh, so your prediction for this year? Well, my prediction is this year, if, if, if he does what he says he's going to do, and I don't have any confidence he's going to do it, we can actually end the war uh, in Ukraine and be able to start pivoting to the Pacific. If, that's a huge if, that we support the Ukrainians the way they, they need to be supported. If not, if that doesn't happen, then the Russians will carry this to another year. It'll be a war of attrition, which the Ukrainians will have trouble winning, and the Americans will not support this war because they'll keep looking at all this money and say, where's the end state? And then you're going to see in 2024 the big question of, quote, who lost Ukraine because Ukrainians cannot fight a long war of attrition. They can't. And if they're forced into it, they've got a major problem. I mean, nothing left to the country. Uh, Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. You got it. one 866 We'll be back to take some of your calls. Not only about that, what's happening in East Palestine, and how you think the president, uh, the former president will do when he goes to visit. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Did you recommend charges against Donald Trump? I really don't want to share something that the judge made a conscious decision not to share. I, I will tell you that it was a process where we heard his name a lot. Uh, we definitely heard a lot about former President Trump, and we definitely discussed him a lot in the room. And I will say that uh, when this list comes out, you wouldn't, there are no major plot twists waiting for you. So this woman, who is a grand jury uh, jurist, right, uh, the foreperson, I didn't know that, wow, decided to go do a media tour and start talking about a case before the indictments have been handing out. And, and uh, it was just bizarre, uh, what she's been saying, no plot twists. We heard uh, disgusting, we discussed him a lot. So here is uh, Ali Honig, even on CNN, just say, what is she doing? This is about the Georgia case and whether the president tried to manipulate an election. Cut 29. This is a horrible idea, and I guarantee you that prosecutors are wincing watching her go on this. I was wincing just (laughs) watching her eagerness to, like, you know, hint at stuff. It's painful in that respect. This is a very serious prospect here. We're talking about indicting any person. You're talking about potentially taking away that person's liberty we're talking about potentially a former president for the first time in this nation's history. She does not seem to be taking that very right. seriously. There's no reason for her to be out talking. No, I mean, there's a, right, it's okay. a prosecutor's nightmare. She, right, okay. Mark my words. Donald Trump's team is going to make a motion if there's an indictment to dismiss that indictment 
based on grand jury impropriety. She's not supposed to be talking about anything, really, but she's really not supposed to be talking about the deliberations. She's talking about what specific witnesses they saw, what the grand jury thought of them. She says some of them we found credible, some of them we found funny. I don't know why that's relevant, but she's been saying we found this guy funny or interesting. I think she's potentially crossing a line here. It's going to be a real problem for prosecutors. Wow. Why would she do it? But why do they just say don't do interviews or do they tell grand juries not to do interviews? No, the judge did say like you. I mean, she's trying to like walk a fine line, but no, I, I mean, she's getting slammed across the board. You know, you're not allowed to talk about anything specific. And she's sound, doesn't sound too bright. either. Uh, and if you if you see the whole if you see her end with the listening to it. It's painful. I mean, even right now, I'm across the internet, apparently Mar- Maggie Haberman said, uh, let's say, uh, Trump's indictment for election crimes is likely, but Georgia jury blabbermouth is not helpful. I mean, I mean, even places that hate Trump are might hate this woman more. Eric, what's on WDBO? Hey, Eric. Hey, Eric, you're um, on. Hello. Go- Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead real quick. Hey, um, I don't think we should be giving any more money to the Ukraine. I think that they just filter some of it back to the Democratic Party through campaign funds. We should just be giving No, you them mean weaponry. weapons. Get them weapons, right? I don't want to yes, do their pension and, plans either. Right, right, exactly. And what's taken Biden so long? You're exactly right. Your take. Just let them win. They, they, they don't have a choice. We, the only way is to let the, the Ukrainians be successful. There's no way you have peace and you have a country give up 25% of their land. They'll go, what was I fighting for then? They get invaded. They take what they want. They kill our people. They kidnap our kids. Oh, and okay, America's tired of the war that they're not fighting. We will not stick up for anybody next. And Moldova will fall. We don't know Moldovans. Romania. I've never been to Romania. Nadi Kamenich was a good gymnast. I, it's no big deal. I never go to Eastern Europe anyway. Yeah, then they're in your backyard. And the message is China and Russia, it's your world. Just leave us alone. That's not the way we ever have done things. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, with me in studio, if you're watching Fox Nation, recognize him, Cantor uh, and his Cantor Freedom. As you know, uh, he's been all over Fox. He'll be on Outnumbered shortly. He'll be the man in the middle. And I don't have to introduce you to WABC, New York fans. Because I remember you from the Knicks. Yeah, so also remember how hard you played. Uh, and I think you could help them today. Michael Kaplan at the bottom of the hour, senior news feature writer with the New York Post. He did an incredible job tracking fentanyl from China, how it's made, how it's exported to Mexico, how it's given the cartels, how they make some money, how they refine it and then get it into our country and kill Americans. Uh, Michael Kaplan at the bottom of the hour. Before we get to Ennis, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Biden administration doesn't have a strategy to win, and that's why people are starting to question it, because the president keeps saying as long as it takes, that means another unending war. If he laid out a strategy and said, here's how we're going to win, here's the goal, here's what we're going to provide them, then people would rally to that. They would, uh, but they just slow walking almost every weapon system. Speeches. Made bluster on all sides delivered as Ukraine digs in for year two of the Russia war of choice. What President Biden has not done loudly call out China for ignoring Russian sanctions and threatening to give Russia weapons. 
Number two. We are in the middle of this national identity crisis, Tucker, where we have celebrated our diversity and our differences for so long that we forgot all of the ways we're really just the same. And that's why I'm proud to say tonight that I am running for United States president. Yep, uh, Vivek, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is now in. 2024 Republican field welcomes another and about to welcome more. Who is on deck and who stepped up? Number one. When are you going to go to East Palestine? Well, I am planning to go, and uh, our folks were on the ground from the first hours. I do want to stress that the NTSB needs to be able to do its work independently. That makes no sense. Now you're coming, people to judge. It's finally ready to head to East Palestine three weeks after the toxic derailment, which has turned this region upside down. Hard to believe. Uh, Ennis, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Great to see you. I mean, when, I think when you first came in, were you with the Knicks or the Celtics at that time? I think I was with the Knicks. Yeah, yeah you I was ki- with the Knicks. Yeah, killing it. And then the Knicks realized we're better off having a high draft pick, so stop playing. Oh, my goodness. Remember how bad they were for it the longest horrible. time? I mean, the, the, the Knicks fans was going crazy. Right. They were chanting, we want cancer in Madison Square Garden. So it was unbelievable. Because you play like an animal. Like, I mean, I have to because I'm not getting paid to lose games. I'm getting paid to win games, you know? And I'm just gonna, I'm not going to go out there and try to get a better draft pick. Right. Uh, and now uh, I guess the Knicks have their best signing ever, uh, and they, they seem to be an above 500 team. Do you think they can contend? Uh, I, mean, I mean, I think they're going to get into playoff spots, either 7th or 8th, but I think they're going to lose in the first round. Right. I and mean, you have the Celtics first and Box the second, and there's no way, you know, going to the first, uh, second round. There's no way, I don't think. Have you ever seen anything like what we saw with the Nets in one season, it's trading the three so best much, players in the just so much drama? I think that might be the biggest fail in NBA history. You know, you got James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, and you just fumble all of it. So, who? What is Kyrie Irving's problem? Have you met him? I, I mean, he wasn't my draft pick. He, he wasn't your... my. He wasn't my draft pick. He was the first pick. I was the third pick. I mean, coming into the league, he was obviously one of the most talented player I know, and he was actually a really nice guy and, and stuff. And I think, you know, his COVID stands, I think, really inspired everybody. But then he's just started to... Uh, just decided, hey, you know what? I, I want to leave. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't know what his deal is, but, I mean, that's, this year is his contract year, so he needs to just keep his mouth shut and, and he just will. play his basketball. Go to Dallas. Yeah. I so mean. the other thing with Kevin Durant, what's yeah. he like? And, and I don't know if he can play him that... <laughs> He was one of the most awkward, but most talented player that I play with. You know, obviously he was he was a very quiet guy. I mean, he loved his teammates, but I think he just took the you know easy route and he wants he just signed with Golden State Warriors the same year they won seventy three games, which they break the NBA record. And everybody said, you, "They don't need you. Why are you going there and sign with them and stuff?" But I mean, I was his teammate, and he and, was surprised by the backlash. Yeah. I mean, he should not be. I mean, because the Oklahoma City loved him and they really embraced him. But I just wanted to leave. Right, and now he's uh, now he's in Phoenix. Are they instant contenders? I mean, I think I think so. I mean, they just need to get the chemistry right. But you got Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and I think they are one of the best teams in West. Yeah. Right. So the other story, uh, non sports related. By the way. Ben Simmons, mm-hmm. top player in the league, one of the top players in the league, young player in the league. He has a bad playoff, forgets, does not want to shoot. Yeah. And now he's a fraction of himself, doesn't like basketball. Uh, he's 26 years old, making 
over 20 million. Yeah. How do you explain that? I mean, he just needs he just I feel like he's a crybaby. He needs to just stop talking and focus just on his basketball. You know, what'd you say? He's weak? I mean, he's not. I think it's a mental He's, he's thing. mentally weak. I mean, as a basketball player, he is very talented. Obviously, he was like, the, what, the first pick? Mm-hmm. But I feel like he's mentally so weak. I mean, what his situation with Philly was just really bad for him, and he wanted to leave. He wanted to get out of there. But I feel like he's just mentally very weak. And people don't know, Ennis Cantor freedom could be in the NBA right now, but because of his outspokenness when it comes to – uh, when it comes to China, uh, basically no one wants to touch you. No one wants to sign you. You're in great nope. shape. You could play. How old are you? I'm just turned 30. Just I'm turned 30. Healthy. Can go out there and still put double-double, but it's not going to happen probably. And, and you made that conscious decision. It's a courageous one. And then this happens to show you it's about the connection with China. And the NBA is still scared to death of losing that market. And now yesterday, this comes down. A Chinese fintech giant, Ant Group, said on Tuesday that it entered a strategic partnership with the NBA in yeah. China that would see the two cooperating areas such as video content, program broadcasting, mm-hmm. and membership. Fans in China would have access to NBA video content on AirPlay and the hugely popular payment app owned, owned by Ant Group. So forget about divesting from our number one enemy. <laughs> I mean... It just, it, it's not a lie. Everybody knows now NBA is China's laptop, and they're going to do everything they can to st- strengthen their relationship with uh, China. And, I mean, the, what what drives me crazy is they talk about all the, you know, social justice issues in America and blah, blah, but when it comes to China, they're silent. They will care about human rights until it hits their pocket, and they're not going to be able to say anything against the Chinese government because they know it's a billions of dollars of business. So. They dropped it flat out. After the Houston Rockets general yeah. manager uh, retweeted something about Hong Kong. You know, nobody knows, actually. So when I started to talk about the problems that were happening in China, after the third game, he called me. He said, listen, man. Who did? Daryl Morey. He said. The general think, manager then of the Rockets yeah. now with the 76 Yep. Yeah, he said, I think what you're doing is so amazing. Keep doing what you're doing because you're the only guy. When I tweeted about stand with Hong Kong, they made me took my tweet down. They made me apologize, but you don't take your tweet down. You keep going. You keep doing what you're doing, and that was shocking to me because NBA put a statement out there and said we care about free speech. We we have our employees back, which is a, a lie. Why wouldn't Darry Morley sign you with the Seventy Sixers? Well, me if me, me and Daryl Morley wasn't the same team. That would not be good for the league, and everybody knows it. Wow, that's interesting <laughs> that he called you and saluted yeah, you. he did. Right, and he's considered an excellent GM, correct? Yeah. And he was building ever. a great team in Houston. Exactly. I mean, he's definitely one of my favorite guys in the NBA. So you got to get hit twice. I was thinking about you, too, with the Turkey earthquake. They hit yeah. with two earthquakes in, what, three weeks? Yeah, just, one of them just the happened The devastation yesterday. looks like what? How many thousands? <sighs> Close to 45,000 people has lost their life, and people are saying it's going to go up. You know, so was your family okay? My family's okay. You know, they were living uh, west side of uh, Turkey, but I mean, the the rest of them, uh, rest of the Turkey is definitely is what definitely the biggest heartbreaking story in Turkish history. You know, the one thing if you go to California, I'm sure you know this. Mm-hmm. They basically have a lot of these big buildings got it all to they expect earthquakes. They're on yeah. rollers. The building I worked at in California when I was mm-hmm. there was on a roller. So when a, when a tremor hit, the, the actual buildings would roll. Japan does that. Japan does that yeah, too. Japan does. Does it. Turkey? Uh, no, definitely not. I mean, it's just everyone just give these instructions to all these like companies out there to make cheap buildings so they can make more money. So that's why everybody's really mad at Erdogan because they blaming him for the, all this uh, deaths. 
So let's get him out. He's been terrible for NATO. He's been terrible for the world. He's using Russian missile defense Mm -hmm. as a member of NATO. And now he's holding us hostage if we want Finland and we want uh, Sweden Sweden, into NATO. They are asking for our F-35s. Same time, they're going and buying S-400s from Russia. And they are holding hands with Putin and Iran, and they're meeting with Xi Jinping. So they could strip down our F-35 and, do, <sighs> and, and build their own. I mean, it, they cannot. I mean, I don't think they're capable of building But Russia F-35. is. Russia is, yeah, true. But it just I feel like our administration uh, definitely needs to be tougher on these dictatorships because they, it's not a lie that they have been soft on these dictators out there. And what, what people don't what, – Ennis, what people – what don't we understand about dictators? Like when do you when you listen to people talk and say we have to appease Russia and we should not no. and we should not worry no, about? No, no. I mean, do they understand the mindset of the people we're dealing with? Diplomacy and soft talk never work with this dictator. It's looked at as weakness. We have to take concrete actions and use sanctions against them. Actually, but I've been talking to people in Congress, but unfortunately they're saying, well, let's give them a time. They're NATO allies and stuff, but... With Turkey. With Turkey. And, and right now, they're letting that, are they letting your family have total oh, freedom? It's been Close. actually 10 years now. I haven't, I haven't seen them. 10 years. Do you know what their condition? Uh, I have a brother who plays basketball in Japan, so I talk to my brother. My brother talks to my family. So they're doing okay for now, but I, my dad was in jail and gone in and out of Turkish courts for seven years. For not for what for you not did? just being my dad. And, and why don't you, you consider going to Japan? Uh, so I could go to Japan, uh, not to play basketball. Because, you wouldn't go there to play basketball? Be, well, because of the bounty. Uh, there's a bounty on you? Yeah. Um, there's a bounty on my head for 500000 because of Turkish Turkish government put me in the most wanted terrorist list just because of I talk about human rights violations and pol- political prisoners in Turkey. So I don't think I will be leaving America soon because FBI told me to stay here. <laughs> The FBI did. Yep. Knowing that you're not a terrorist. But they can't control Everybody it if knows. you leave the country. Exactly. They said we can we can protect you in America, but if you leave America, it's Would you go to Japan? Uh, to visit my brother, yeah, to play basketball, no. It'll be too dangerous. But if it wasn't for that. If it wasn't for you'd that. Go yeah. play. I mean, I just I love You would basketball. just dominate. That would be love, a joke oh my, for you. <laughs> it'll be it'll be twenty twenty. Average twenty twenty. <laughs> but they pay? Uh not as good as like the NBA pay, but sure they pay. Right. So you just wonder because the clock's ticking. You're only 31 one time. You're only 30 uh, years exactly. old. Exactly. I love basketball, man. I mean, I'm mad at the NBA. I'm not mad at basketball. Right. So. Got it. Uh, so listen, and uh, uh, we have a few more minutes now. You're going to be an outnumbered in 90 yeah. minutes. So let's uh, take a short time out and come back. More with Dennis Cantor. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So uh, we're back with uh, Ennis Cantor Freedom. Uh, Ennis, you, you, we saw you at the uh, Patriot Awards, obviously. Uh, not an NBA player, ready to go for a team that needs you most now that the All-Star break is over. And he was voted most valuable Patriot. You'll have that title for the entire year. Uh, also, you're going to be on out number at the top of the hour. And for you in particular, uh, you actually... if. With you and your agent, you the agent that would be trying to get you on a team, you guys decided to mutually break up. So you need an agent to represent you to get you back in the Exactly. Yeah, good luck to me. Uh, well, all the basketball agents obviously have uh, many players, and those players have a lot of business and a lot of shoe deals, endorsement deals, jersey sales, and all that stuff back in China. So I... 
don't think any agents will will be willing to even take that chance to even sign me, you know. So we're not hopeful at all, but uh, we just keep uh, trying for sure. Um, with the coaches in the league, have you have a relationship with any of the coaches, assistants, or head coaches that that give you some hope that maybe there'll be an opening? So I did have a, a mini conversation with many of the basketball experts because all this, all my teammates and coaches are unfortunately scared to even have a conversation with me. But they're saying this definitely not going to happen. You know, you can just say goodbye to basketball and you can for, look for a new career uh, because the China is the biggest market and NBA is not going to do anything to hurt that market. Even though they took him off, they took the NBA off for two, for two years or something like that, right? As soon as as soon as I got released, three weeks later, they put the games back on. I was like, at least wait for like end of the season, so it won't be that obvious. So as soon as so that's the pressure on you. After I got left, three weeks later, they put the games back on. So as you know, Abby Hornacek works yeah. here, and you met Jeff, her dad, who went to the yeah. Patriot Awards. What is your relationship with him? He was my coach. He Knicks, was my right? coach with the Knicks, and he was my actual assistant coach when I was playing for Utah Jazz. He was one of the nicest guy I know. Great player, too. amazing, obviously amazing player. Right. And what did he tell you? Um, we did not actually talk about that. I didn't want to put him in a different. But situation. he knows you could still play. Of course. Oh my God, yes. He, of course, he does. Uh, I just didn't want to talk to him about this situation. I just didn't want him to make me uncomfortable. But he knows I could play. He coached me. He knows what kind of player I am. He was actually coaching me when I was with the Knicks, when I was actually killing it. I was starting. He was one of the definitely best coach I had. But, yeah, if you ask him, he will tell you all about it. What is uh, – now there's this big story about James Dolan, who mm-hmm. with what Madison Square Garden owns uh, Radio City, owns the Knicks, owns the Rangers, uh-huh. owns the network, owns some – I'm sure a lot more – but he was using facial recognition to keep out his yeah. enemies and people that are suing him. I did hear And now about there's a big that. war about what kind of, what was it like playing for him? How bizarre is that? So, no, I did hear about that, that if you are like a, um, I guess, like a, a reporter, that if you say anything against the Knicks or especially him, that you're not allowed to step into Madison Square Garden ever again. And if they tell you to sell the team, he throws you out. He is definitely, he's one of the worst. I mean, I, he was my owner. He was definitely one of the worst owner that the NBA ever had. Right. Him and Joe Tsai, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets. What would make Joe Tsai? Because he's well, from Taiwan, right? He, no, he's, uh, he is the guy who actually funds the genocide. He is the co-founder of Alibaba. And he is, I can't believe how Adam Silver is allowing uh, pretty much uh, a guy who funds the genocide, allowing to have a team in America. How does he fund the genocide? I mean, I guess he gets like he has something to do with the surveillance cameras in Xinjiang, and he makes a lot of money, uh, profit out of it and stuff. No, he so he's definitely one of the worst guy human being in America. Well, and and he gets a total pass. I you know yes, I just thought yeah. Taiwanese. That's where he's yeah. from. By the way, what's going on in China is fascinating. They arrested another billion arrested another billionaire over the weekend. Jack Ma, we know, has been neutralized. Yeah. So they're trying to get rid of any market principles in their economy. That is part. Do they understand that that's part of the growth, allowing these people to make a profit? I mean, no. It's just Xi Jinping won't allow any powerful man that who can go against anything he will say. You know, I believe Jack Ma said something against the Chinese government, and he was gone, disappeared for like a few months, you know? So I'm just interested to see what's going to happen with, with these billionaires. Yeah. And where, what is the state of the Uyghurs? We don't even hear anything about the genocide that's taking place. I mean, you, do you remember one of those owners came out and said we, we could care less about the Uyghurs? He was the owner of Golden State Warriors, 
And I was like, I cannot believe it. They can say this out loud, you know. But no, you don't hear anything about the Uyghurs. Uh, I guess for them, Uyghurs' lives don't ma- matter. Um, and they're going to keep making a profit out of it. All right. And as if people want to follow you on your social media mm-hmm. and track your, uh, what you're doing and what causes you're behind. Um, you know, at NS Freedom on Instagram, Twitter, and I have a website, nsfreedom.org, and they can just go ahead and check uh, all the work that I'm doing. Now, you're going to be on the couch with uh, four women who are going to be very well <laughs> read, ready to go. Are you ready to go? I am ready. I've done it before. I am ready again. All right, good. And it's Cantor Freedom. Thanks so much. Great to see you. Of course. Thank you All so right, much and if you're me. an NBA owner listening, sign this guy. Back in a moment, Michael Kaplan's with us now. We talk about something. We talk about China again. How they get fentanyl into this country. You'll be fascinated and horrified. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. There will be a 30-day public comments period, and then if it's passed, as you said, it would be implemented later in May when the Title 42 program officially comes to an end. It would make migrants ineligible for asylum in the um, uh, United States if they travel through another country to get here, like Mexico, for instance, but they don't apply for protection there first, or if they illegally cross the U.S. border without making an appointment with CBP at a port of entry. That's Casey Siegel talking about what's going on with the new rules when it comes to the border. And with the border is two things. Illegals coming into our country, the gotaways, really three. And then you have the fentanyl that's costing it's costing Americans their lives uh, by the tens of thousands. Michael Kaplan knows all about this. That's why he wanted to find out how fentanyl got into this country. He's a senior news feature with the New York Post. And his latest column struck me because it was so insightful uh, a lot of stuff I did not know, tracking fentanyl's deadly path from China to Mexico to the ODs in America. Michael, welcome. Hi, it's nice to be here. I appreciate your having me on. Oh, great column. People need to know this. Maybe you, if you don't mind, retracing how fentanyl gets into this country and kills so many Americans. First off, true or false, it's manufactured in China in many cases. Well, the pre- there's a, there's, there are chemicals like there's there are chemicals called precursors, which are the chemicals that are used to actually make fentanyl. And so some of them are technically legal in China. So so the actual fentanyl is not getting exported, but like drugs such as um, for peperidone, it's, it's a chemical that is easily converted into fentanyl. That would get shipped to Mexico. And the people making it, they know it shouldn't be shipped out because one of the sources I spoke with for my story, he explained, I mean, he was in the places where they're making it. Like one of the places, you know, in Wuhan was one of the spots where it was being made. And he said he saw like the fake dog food boxes they would put it in. Then they would ship it out to uh, Mexico and it winds up at the ports. And the ports um, are largely, I mean, the cartels have very big influence in the ports. Um, as this particular source put it to me, a couple hundred dollars may be enough to make authorities look the other way as chemicals are unloaded and shipped to the cartel-controlled labs. So now the chemical used to make the drug is now in Mexico and in the hands of the cartels. And at that point, the approximate value per kilogram is about $200. Uh, that's, that, that, that's, all it, that's all it costs. And then 
Should I keep going? And yeah, I no, yeah, that? absolutely. So just to get you to everyone to know, uh, what is that? Is the fentanyl actually, uh, it's actually made in China. It's packaged and then sent to Mexico. Are they well, paid not, at that point not, or does it have to sell through to get paid? It's not actually made in China. The, what's made in China is, is a chemical. They, they call them precursors. And um, like one of them is this chemical pe- peperidone. And it's it can be through through a chemical process it gets converted into fentanyl. So piperidone itself is not fentanyl, but then that gets shipped. It's it's not legal to to make that in the United States. It's an illegal drug here because it gets made into fentanyl. But it gets made in China. It gets shipped to Mexico. Gets picked up by the cartels, and they've got these kind of makeshift labs where they convert it then into fentanyl. It's like a very simple you know, cooking process. Like they cook them in these big, you know, metal barrels, like like giant garbage cans, which should make anybody who's actually using it take pause when you realize that it's this chemical that's being made like in the middle of nowhere, you know, on these farms in rural Mexico. And the cooks are so afraid of it, they're wearing masks and standing downwind of the operation so as not to breathe in fumes. And at that point, it gets made into the white powder that we know of as fentanyl and then in in mexico like based you know depending on the purity it would be worth maybe three thousand to five thousand dollars so this thing that was two hundred dollars in china is now five thousand dollars in mexico and Uh, um, right okay i'm with you so just come thing you you also point out that it's made really in a suburban area they don't want a lot of criminal activity around where it's done and kind of kind of blend in with a with a town in northern Mexico? Yeah, if you made like in a rural area, sometimes these guys will actually use the cat, like they'll be making it on a farm and use the cows as camouflage. <laughs> like, like they'll be doing it like behind a bunch of cows so nobody sees them. I mean, it's pretty crazy. You know, it's horrible. And then they make it, they pack it up, and they now need to get it to the United States because that's where they can make the real money with it. And they'll put it in you know, in trucks, like, you know, with vegetables, have it hidden in trucks with vegetables. Um, One of the particularly insidious things that these, you know, cartel smugglers will do is sometimes it will be brought into the United States by people who don't even know they're smuggling it. Um, As it was explained to me, um, let's say they notice that somebody is routinely commuting into the U.S., like to go work at, you know, let's say a convenience store from Mexico. They'll drill a little hole near where the trunk opens, open up the trunk, you know, from, you know, the side, stash the um, drugs in the trunk. Then when that person crosses over into America, another person will open up the trunk and take the drugs out. But for the most part, they get shipped, you know, to to these various drug hubs in the United States, which would include Los Angeles, Phoenix, Chicago, Atlanta, and New York City. And um, for instance... The truck, you know, it would be in with a truck with vegetables or other, ex, you know, exported items right. out of Mexico. Then it gets into the United States. Now, at that point, this $200 kilogram is now worth $20,000 once it crosses over into into the U.S. And it's been diluted. I mean, it's only about 10% pure. And then it gets to, like, let's say New York. They would transfer it into a car. 
drive it over the George Washington Bridge, take it to these so-called drug mills where there might be a table with, you know, a dozen people chopping it up, putting it into these little glassine envelopes that they'll use to sell it. And now it's, you know, less pure again. And it's um, that original kilogram is now worth $300,000. So this little $200 bag of the precursor is now worth $300,000. And two milligrams of fentanyl constitutes a lethal dose. And a milligram might be like six, it might be as big as it's two milligrams would basically be comparable to like 10 or 20 grains of salt. So it's nothing. And that, and that could kill you right there. I and, mean, it's and why really, would really, why would people take fentanyl? They want to get high. They uh, the, the, a lot of the people. They, they would you put fentanyl inside? Are they trying to kill us? Are they just well, trying the to? Fentanyl. Do... A lot of times, I mean, the fentanyl. Sometimes fentanyl gets mixed in with with heroin or cocaine, and people don't even know they're really taking it. And if somebody's buying fentanyl because they want fentanyl, it's because it's cheaper. Like you know, it has a similar effect as heroin, but it's cheaper to buy because it's just made from chemicals, not from you know, a pot, not from poppies, which are which have to be grown, and it's just more expensive. So fentanyl is is cheap compared to heroin, and these people want they they want to get high, but they're taking their lives into their hands when they do it because if you realize that like like that the amount of fentanyl that could kill you, let's say, is twenty or twenty five grains of of salt, and you just have these guys in these you know tables doing it, like if there's Thirty grains of salt. It's incredible. You're, you're, you're going to get you know if there's that much in there, it's it's going to kill you. It's like playing Russian roulette when these people do this. I mean, it's it's really really scary and it's really unsettling. Uh, so um, so I, it gets to it gets to uh, it's approximately three hundred thousand dollars per kilogram when it gets here, and approximate value per kilogram once it's in the streets is a million. Well. You know, it's bagged up. You know, it's in it's in the drug mill now. It's going to a drug wholesaler, and it's worth about three hundred thousand dollars for the kilogram. And then the wholesaler is going to give it out basically to to his street dealers, to the guys who are actually now selling it one to one to to the users. And at that point, the value is about a million dollars per kilogram. And now it's going to the people who are going to take it. What what unsettled me so so much was. All the trouble these people are going to and all the steps this goes through, just so it can go to somebody who's, like, ruining his life doing this thing and risking his life. I mean, it's just such a – this trail made me feel so sad yeah. that this is what's going on, you know, in, in the United States, that, that, that all this trouble is being taken just so some poor drug addict, you know what I mean, who's, like, struggling with his life now can make his life even worse. Michael Kaplan with us now, senior news feature writer for the New York Post. The, the laborious task of tracking fentanyl's deadly path from China to Mexico to America. So this is a this is a problem not going away. Everyone seems to be profiting. My the, the essentially, essentially is the goal in China to kill as many Americans as possible, or is it just a bunch of people looking to maximize their profits? Yeah, I think it's a bunch of people trying to maximize their profits. Because listen, they don't really want to kill the because if you you don't want to kill the people who are giving you all that money. I mean, they're making a lot of. I mean, I don't think they mind if the people die, but I don't think they really want to kill people because they're making a lot of money from selling this stuff. Incredible. You know what I mean? It's like you yeah. know, if you were selling hamburgers, you don't want 
you don't want people to die of heart attacks. You want them to eat a lot of hamburgers, but you don't want to kill them. You know, you know the whole thing is, too, you got that type of society where they have surveillance everywhere. They give you rewards for patriotism and grade you like that for loyalty. You're going to tell me they couldn't stop these precursor chemicals from leaving the shores of, of, of China or at least curtail it significantly? I would agree with you. I, I would think that it's a, that's a thing that could be stopped. And if they would stop the precursors from leaving China, that would go a long way to, um, to, to curtailing this problem. I agree with that wholeheartedly. All right. Uh, Michael, thanks for doing the hard work. Michael Kaplan, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. I enjoyed chatting with you. And, uh, you know, let's hope that this drug problem gets eradicated sooner rather than later. Well, as we got to address it first. It seems like we're skirting around the issue. We're not really tackling it. Uh, but you just you provided the map. Hopefully you'll be testifying soon in front of Congress. <laughs> then I know they're serious. Thank you. I would I would happily do that. For yeah. our country. Michael, Thanks. thank you very much. I will spread the word that you're willing to do it uh, because I know they're going to be investigating it. All right. When we come back, I'll take your calls. one 866 It looks as though the president's going to be leaving shortly from Poland. He's going to be en route here. He's already called five people in East uh, in um, in East Palestine, uh, Ohio. Uh, he's called Bill Johnson. He's called the governor. He's called the governor of uh, Shapiro of Pennsylvania. Uh, he is called uh, Senator Sherrod Brown. And the mayor, uh, no, actually has not called the mayor, to find out what's going on on the ground with these toxic chemicals of the overturned uh, trailer. It's way too little too late, but it shows a degree of panic for, the, for ignoring this problem. Brian Kilmeade, Joe. Learning something new every day. On the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, we are back. And guess who's in studio? If you're smart enough to getting Fox Nation uh, with me in studio is Dr. Drew. Uh, Dr. Drew is one of the few people who arrives and immediately goes right on air. Can you hear it? Do we have it? I can't hear it. But how about, uh, how about this, Dr. How about this yeah, one? How about do your comparable? No, there's your dial right there by your right hand. There we go. There, there we go. There Thank you. Go. Whoever was in here before didn't want to hear his or her own voice. Uh, that was Ennis Cantor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have very little in common with him. He's a lot taller. He is a lot taller. So I'm and he out of played here. nine years in the NBA, but they don't want to put him, uh, put him in the NBA because he doesn't think China should be torturing Uyghurs. Oh, uh, and he imagine also, that. Yeah, he also doesn't think that we should be doing business with China. Well. And uh, Turkey wants to kill him. They put a $500,000. Uh, oh, my goodness. Uh, I guess I guess a bounty on his head. What's he going to do? He's going to stay here. The FBI is kind of looking after him. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you think we have problems. I thought we, <laughs> I thought cancellation was bad. So you have something um, You have something on your mind you want to say. I, I was thinking this morning, uh, you know, early on in the pandemic, uh, I just, you know, I have a long history with Dr. Fauci through the H- HIV and AIDS epidemic. I was a resident through that. I Early in my practice, all I did was well, – a lot of what I did was AIDS, HIV and AIDS. did a lot of it. And Dr. Fauci was a great leader during that pandemic epidemic. Uh, I just thought – I leaned on him. I relied on him. He just guided us beautifully, I thought, at the time. Now, there are vestiges or, or things that I see now – that became more problematic in the current moment, things like using fear to try to cow people into the behaviors he wanted. That ran out of control most recently. But I still thought early in the pandemic, just listen to this guy. He knows what he's doing. He'll get us through this. Well, not so much. And I wanted to point out to you something, because I know you're a, you're a fan of history. 
even though Gutfeld busts your chops all the time about everything you do, I'm with you on hist- studying history. That's it. Lest you the, repeat it. The rest it. is with uh, Gutfeld. <laughs> lest you repeat it. He seems not interested at all, by mm. the way. But uh, I, I, I was thinking about his statement this morning, I am science. Right? Remember that? Where he goes, mm-hmm. if you criticize me, you criticize yeah. science. And I thought that should have been a much more disturbing and and headliney sort of phenomenon when he said that. I know a lot of people sort of talked about it. It was, but I thought we well, did. Well, I but I thought think about this: where in history have you seen people a, a human say something like that? Like I am the fill in the blank. Well, the Roi Soleil, the the the, the Sun King Louis the Fourteenth, l'état c'est moi. I am the state. And that, if you you know, if you're a student of history, that was considered one of the most grandiose, bizarre, dictator-like statements in history. And now here we are having a government bureaucrat essentially saying the same thing. And we, you know, we don't like it, but we don't eh, move on. It was it's profound that somebody could say that in this day. One of his goals, he says, my dream was always to, if there was a disease, be being not be able to be the only one. To solve the disease and save humanity. Well, good for him. Uh, however, he didn't. no, I know. But here's the problem: uh, the, I, I've realized that the the opioid epidemic followed the COVID epidemic line and verse, in the sense that the reason we had an opioid epidemic was because of evangelical physicians. That's what started it. People who reasonably were trying to help treat cancer pain. Became, became evangelist over the course of about 10 years where they decided no human in America should ever experience any pain. And anyone who didn't use opiate was an opiophobe. And they got control of the regulatory agencies, the state licensing boards, the professional organizations, and they started doing exactly what happened with COVID, silencing and sanctioning anybody who dared to speak back against pain is the fifth vital sign. And do you pain believe- controls whatever the patient says it is. And I lived through that and fought it. And I, about um, six months ago, I thought, God, this is familiar. Oh, it's line and verse. Same thing. We have evangelists with COVID, Burks, Fauci. And when you have evangelists that march off on their own, run everybody, physicians who become evangelists eventually do harm. And, and, I, harm. and I believe they weren't prepared for the blowback in real time. They weren't prepared for the question cool. that they had. And they took sanctions. And now we know they're dealing what was going on with Twitter and this all full circle, yeah. stop this one, squelch this one, shadow ban that one, yeah. and ridicule people that come out and threaten lawsuits to them. Yeah. Find ways to crush people that dare to say otherwise. And if you read Dr. Burks's book, she's unapologetic. She still thinks she was a hero for doing what she did. And they still can't see the incredible deleterious consequences of the overreach, the panic, the lockdowns. And, of course, it didn't happen in every state, but I live in a state, you live in a state where it was just, oh, my brutal. God, brutal. And the effects on hum- on the people, the, the citizens, just spectacular. And we have to look back and think about that and learn from it. We have to. Dr. Burks on television, we was used first two masks, and then she recommended goggles because <laughs> we could get the disease through our eyes. So no joke. Oh. Uh, that is so true. I'm getting flashbacks, Dr. Drew. Stick around. We're going to talk more about this uh, in the next hour. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. 
Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Uh, so glad you're here. one 408 According to my rundown, Martha McCallum at the bottom of the hour. Uh, somebody almost as talented. Dr. Drew is with me right now. Not Pinsky, quite. Not quite. Uh, Board certified uh, internist. I did not see the certificate. This could, this could be. I can show them to you. I've got them all on my phone. Do you really? <laughs> of course. Okay. Uh, addiction specialist, also host of Ask Dr. Drew, the uh, Adam and Drew show, and you know, Dr. The, Drew After Dark. My my wife would kill me if I didn't promote the show that she produces, which is a streaming show at 3 o'clock Pacific time, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and particularly on Wednesday, 3 o'clock Pacific. We have been interviewing with a friend of mine, Dr. Kelly Victory, who has some different ideas about early treatment and you know vaccines and things than I do, so it's good. We have different points of view, which... By the way, throughout my career, that was always a good thing. We call that interesting, refining our positions. Now that's called misinformation, but okay. Um, We have been interviewing all the professionals that have been silenced. And although from my perspective— You mean doctors have been silenced through the COVID-19? Names you've heard like Bhattacharya and McCullough and Malone, and and there's dozens of them. When you start realizing how deep it is and how profoundly— Dr. Atlas? Atlas and Alexander and Reich and it just goes on and on. These are some of the highest level, most decorated professionals in the country. These are the guys and gals that they chose to silence because they were such decorated and highly thought of professionals. Of course, they posed a threat, right, to the narrative that everybody wanted to tell. So from each of these people, while some of them, I think to myself as I'm interviewing, like, I don't necessarily agree with all this. Uh, but from every single one, there's at least one headline I walk away with and think, my God, I had no idea. And they're so right. What, I, what drives me nuts about everything, and I want to get into it because okay. this was my huge passion because I never wanted to take a day off. I never got it. Again, I'm a bit lucky. Never got it. Didn't take a day off from work. Wanted to come to the city. They said I couldn't. We come to the city. We had to go to separate studios Ugh. and separate. So all that stuff. And I understand people are getting seriously ill and people are dying. I'm not diminishing it. But the lack of humility into what they were saying, that was the whole approach. It's like, hey, guys, this is what I got. This is what I'm thinking. I've been doing this for 75 years. This is what I'm concluding. And right now we're going to – but never acknowledging when you got it wrong. Remember John Katsimatidis is interviewing Dr. Fauci. He says, is this going to be a problem here? He says, it's not going to be a problem here. It doesn't spread human-to-human growth. And then don't wear a mask. Give you a false sense of security. Wear a mask. Wear two masks. I told you. I wasn't kidding. Earlier, Dr. Burke said on the air to me, you might want to wear goggles because the virus can get through your eyes. And never acknowledging that they were wrong. That's the crazy thing. And missing really important things like when monoclonal antibodies were effective, how to use them, where to get them, how to reduce, how to manage this illness when you get it because we all will get it. It's inevitable. And remember Governor DeSantis saying, why am I having problems getting this? Oh, that was terrible. They were denying it to governors that were using it. He had mobile units going out. I thought, oh, my God, these guys are doing it right. I had a chance. One of the people I had the interview was Dr. Latipo, uh, the Surgeon General in Florida. What a great human being. Oh, my God. And I know my peers. I know when I'm talking to one that's well-trained and knows what the hell he's talking about. You can rely on that guy. And the interesting, some tweets were going out about him recently where his superiors had concerns about him because he was upsetting everybody with his opinions. That went around the other day, like three days ago. And I looked at the day and I'm like, oh, that's 18 months ago. Turns out 85% of what he said was correct. 100% of what his superiors thought was wrong. So who, who's, who should we be listening to? 
Do you remember Dr. Fauci told Neil Cavuto about a month ago, I never said the lockdowns uh, to close schools? Oh, my God. Well, that's that's sort of true. Now, listen to this. He he led the mm, he led the notion of lockdown. Here's what killed me throughout the pandemic. No risk reward analysis as a physician. Every dis- every interaction I have, that's all I can think about is what's the risk reward here? I, my dad was an old family practitioner, and he always pounded on me the dangers of medication and treatment. You're going to hurt people. Do no harm. They seem to have no concern for that whatsoever. It was this weird safety uberalis sort of attitude, and then vaccine uberalis, and nothing else was contemplated. That is bizarre. That is not medicine. And so when he said, what was it he said again? He said, um, I specifically, I don't want to misquote it. No, what he said is, I never recommended Never misquote So I was doing a local Fox, a local Fox affiliate news show, not Fox News, but a local Fox network show in Los Angeles. And a school board member came on after our governor shut the place down. And he sat down and he went, well, we're going to shut the schools. And I said, look. Who told you to do that? Did you hire a consultant? Did you talk to a doctor, somebody who has infectious disease training? No. It's the right thing to do. And then in terms of getting them opened again, they didn't listen to to anybody. I had a school board uh, member in there. Actually, yeah, it was a school board, not a union member. Maybe it was a union. I think it was a school board member. Oh, gosh, it might have been a union person. And I was telling her, I was saying, look, okay, you want all these things. You want, you know, safety measures and plexiglass. All, stuff. all right, let's assume you need that. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's do it. Let's do it tomorrow. What's the delay? You're a sexist for saying that. Sexist for saying, I'm going to get you what you're asking for so we can get schools open. The story I always tell people is uh, – I mean, that's real. Yes. I say this all the time. By, by the way, think about what happened when Ukraine got invaded. The reporters met the women fleeing at the border with Poland with their kids, and they put microphones in their faces. And every woman – I say this all the time on my streaming show – every woman they spoke to said the same thing, which was, this is terrible. The men are left behind. My sons, my my husband, this is awful. But these kids have been out of school for two weeks. Two weeks. We have to get them back in school. It's been two weeks. Put them in a school where they didn't even speak the language because of – the notion of children being out of school more than two weeks was anathema. Um, we did it for two years in Los Angeles. Well, right. Uh, oh, yeah. And it, and it kept shutting it down here. And the fact is, then you bring in politics to it. Yeah. And they bring in the, the teachers unions. Yeah. And it turns out the teachers didn't want to do it. The union, some of did want to go back. The teachers unions were in control. The yeah. teachers unions make the call to their, uh, the, the people they put in power, the Democrats. And that's why the president never sat up there and said, I want all those schools open mm-hmm. like the previous president. Mm-hmm. He said, we're going to shut it down for two weeks. Then we're going to get it open up again. Couldn't get it open up again. Mm-hmm. People aren't listening to him. Mm-hmm. You're trying to kill people. Why are you doing that? Killing the teachers, teachers are in danger. The kids will kill the teachers. In New York Times article yesterday, mask mandates don't work. Have we learned ever anything? New York Times. It's amazing. The New York Times aired that, that opinion piece. And I thought, oh, this is Brett good. Stevens. This is changing. This is excellent. But the reality is we were in mask mandates a year ago, you all recall. Level of COVID is about the same now as it was a year ago. What, are we all dying of COVID right now? Should we have been in mandates a year ago? Let, let, let us look at it carefully and let's learn about this. Let's not – I don't want people being condemned or going to jail. I just want us to look at this like – Look, when we when we do medicine, we do postmortems, we do morbidity mortality reports. We check we check ourselves and what we've done to try to learn something where we made mistakes. We have to do that here. But it's, I do think that I'm not saying I want people to go to jail, but I do think it's worth it to go through Twitter 
and find out who's making the calls to find out what who did that to Dr. Bacciara. Well, who the, did that to Dr. Oh, yeah. Atlas? Oh, yeah. Who, who sidelined these people in shadow banding? I, I agree. And the fact that the world, the United States citizenship is not mortified by our government behaving as such. And to be fair, there's evidence the Trump government did the same thing. I mean, the, just the fact that really what I have learned through the pandemic, amongst many, many things, is that we have an ossified bureaucracy and the bureaucrats are much more in charge than our elected officials. And that should alarm everybody. Um, I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. But you're bringing back uh, something else, which I think it plays into what's happening in uh, East Palestine. Mm. So you have a bunch of people walking around saying, I don't believe, even though the EPA shows up and says the air is fine and the water is OK, they're going, I don't believe that. Why would I believe that? And then other parents say, I'm not having my kid play against the East Palestine high school team. They're not going to that gym. Well, the air quality is clean. The EPA was just here. Look at the meter. I don't believe that meter. I don't believe that the soil's okay. I don't believe that that to blow up that train in that in that uh, uh, that planned explosion so it, so it wouldn't explode on its own and could send shrapnel through the town. I don't think that was a good move. There's so much doubt everywhere, and I think it goes back to this. Is it is it a good idea? Is that a good thing that there's doubt? I think it's good to be. I yeah, think it's I good too. to be skeptical. I do too. You were talking to your last guest uh, about uh, the. Dis- but, but can I just stop this? Yeah. I think it's good to be skeptical. Yeah. But there's a way to be skeptical and not live your life in in the fetal position. Right. And Panic. although there's a little bit of a risk, I'm not going to do it. Well, you're teaching your nine year old maybe the wrong thing. Oh, no. Don't go to East Palestine. Don't go play basketball. Okay, those kids have been playing all day and they've been in school. Well, we're not going to go. It's too much of a risk. No. They were the same kids who got shut down at seven years old and had to sit on a laptop and not pay attention. There are words I come out of my mouth all the time now that I had no idea at this point in my life I'd be saying. And one of those words is courage. It is time for courage. Stand up and do things. Live. Courage. Yeah. What happened to us? Courage was a virtue. Now virtue is sheltering in place, safety, Uber Alice. Uh, you got, that's sort of disgusting. No. Stand up. Live your life. Be courageous. Fight for what you know to be right. Be skeptical, but you're going to have to find authorities that you can trust, and that's going to be hard for people because it's been very confusing. I'm having trouble with even the medical literature, the way it's been edited lately, makes me concerned about what's being published. It's going to take a while for this all to settle down. It's difficult. But your your last guest, we were talking about the way, I guess, it was uh, Soviets manipulated the press or something. You were talking about propaganda yeah. in communist countries. And just to call this back, and you also you made light of it and said, oh, in this country we would never have any propaganda, right? I think it was you that said that. I have a memory I, that I can't get out of my head. In the 1970s, I watched a 60-minute style interview of a Soviet journalist. It's weird that this sticks with me so vividly. And the, 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 the 60 Minutes interviewer was hammering this guy. How can you be part of a press that's controlled by the state, that's manipulated by the state? He finally looked him in the eye. The, the Soviet journalist looked the guy in the eye and said, hey, our journalism, our press is a political instrument. In yours, it's a commercial instrument. Trust me, you will have distortions as profound as ours coming. It's an interesting statement. Yeah. It's not inaccurate. Yeah. Uh, I just do understand, too— it's amazing the misperceptions that people have. I mean, for example, I, I was listening to the translation of Vladimir Putin's speech live on Bloomberg yeah. in the morning yeah. because you won't get up at four in the morning. I was going to call you and tell you to watch. But we, just saying that— You left me out? Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, it won't happen again. Normally we do it together. I know. I'm like, but I, I got voicemail. So I just <laughs> uh, so I decided not to. But literally four in the morning he's speaking, and he says that everybody knows 
Ukraine started this war and their goal is to take over Russia. Our utter def- uh, the other future of our country is in the balance and we're going to denazify. And I'm saying to myself, these are well-educated people sitting there. How many believe it? And most don't have another point of view. How could that possibly be the case? I'm also remember Vladimir Putin coming over here telling George W. Bush when he didn't think he was evil as he is. Uh, Bush saying, you know, you got to open up your press. You got to give people a chance to ask questions. He goes, well, what? He goes, what about you? You had that news anchor fired. He goes, what are you talking about? Dan Rather, you had him fired. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have him fired. There was a story that didn't pan out, and they got rid of him at CBS. He goes, no, you had him fired. He goes, I can't get anybody fired. Yeah. So the misperception of, of educated people from other countries yes. about the reality is is really – it's an educational tool. What else are you confused about, about America? Do you really think we want to take over Russia, that we are actually have aggressive goals when it comes to you guys? I, I, I'm sure people that are trying to penetrate our – culture and our thinking are more confused these days. Yeah, because I, I, I sure am. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> so. what Marjorie Taylor Greene said the other day was so, was so irresponsible. She says it's time for a divorce. It's time for a national divorce. Amongst the states? Amongst the states. Now, so Michael Malice maintains that position, and uh, somebody else just said it to me the other day that the, the federalism is not sufficiently strong to hold it all together. Why can't we do what Thomas Jefferson suggested, which was allow the states to function and flourish, and we have certain constrained federalist more right. per what people have forgotten what the constitutional what the constitution is. It's a document to form a more perfect union amongst the states. The perfect union is out of whack. Let's get the perfect union back in alignment again, not destroy the whole thing. And it's got to be their goal. It's got to be the goal. goal. If you're a lawmaker and you're saying my, my suggestion is a divorce, I don't think you're doing your job. Uh, personally. I agree. I agree. All right. Wow. Dr. True agrees with me. I know. It's hard. You are nice. I know. Uh, Greg's going to kill me. All right. Listen, uh, well, uh, you're sticking around, right? Sure, One more second. Yeah, absolutely. Back in a moment. Dr. Drew's going to stay here. And in the break, he's going to tell me how psychologically perfect I am. Mm, I maybe, think. Maybe. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. When are you going to go to East Palestine? Well, I am planning to go, and uh, our folks were on the ground from the first hours. I do want to stress that the NTSB needs to be able to do its work independently. But when I go, the focus is going to be on action. Look, I was mayor of my hometown for eight years. We dealt with a lot of disasters, natural and human. We remember that tidal wave that hit South Bend. Yeah, I was going to say a lot and, of disasters. Right, and remember the hurricane <laughs> and the earthquake. earthquake. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. A lot yeah, of disasters. You know, like the story is that they couldn't even fill the potholes, that Domino's Pizza ended up sponsoring the filling of potholes in South Bend. Hmm. How do you explain a guy that gets a job that all he has to do is show up a lot of times? You didn't expect him to be. Well, he didn't and he will show not up. show up. He's not showing up. Yeah. I, you know what's odd to me? It's, He's from uh, – he got an Oxford degree. I know. He's a smart guy. And, and people in the – well, the present administration don't seem to understand psychology, I guess, like optics, like what people need, what leadership is maybe. Communication. Yeah, and, and just the basic show up, make people feel better. That's part of the job. I'm here. I'm doing the job. I got it. Even if you don't, but I think you know, letting people kind of see you in action, I, 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 have we lost that leadership ability? I, it's such an odd thing to me. So if you aspire 
to be at highest office yeah. if you're the vice president yeah. or you're Pete Buttigieg. You got everything you got going for you. You got talent. You're good looking. Mm-hmm. You've you've had a pretty good resume. You got to perform. You got to show up at the border. Well, you got to show up if the if, if air traffic gets grounded. It's weird that government is the last place where competition is uh, having an effect. You you see that businesses now finally the economy is coming to bear. Things are going to happen, and there'll be a lot of people losing their jobs. And, and reality of competition will just take take effect in government. We don't seem to be able to get people out. We don't seem to be able to elect new people. We don't seem to be able to get rid of the bureaucrats. It's why the government is so ossified and problematic. The competition right. is good. But here it is, his performance. Uh, whatever you think of Governor DeSantis, he won by 19 for a reason, not because more Democrats came uh, or, le- or left. It's because performance. Yeah. Governor Gavin Newsom's got a great opportunity. Yeah, but how did he get reelected? Newsom got reelected. How, how did he get reelected? A, it, to me, I w- it was breathtaking. I was like, <gasps> oh, my they God. They are still this. talking about him getting the Democratic nomination. And today's Politico, it looks like Biden's thinking twice about running again. It, it's so bizarre. You don't know how bad it is in <laughs> California. You can't imagine. It's it's it's. People I lived there fleeing. for four years. There was some homeless, what? but I hear it's out of control. Oh, it's it's. You've never seen anything like it. And and by the way, these are people that could be treated easily. I know how to treat this. This is what drives me so crazy about it. This is a population I used to dealt with for thirty five years. Drugs and, and major serious mental illness. No problem to treat these people, and many of them return them to a flourishing life. But you let them go too far, they will die, and they will be irretrievable. And there we, we go every year. We go up by another person per day dying on our streets. Now we're like at seven, eight per day dying. And when the meth deaths kick in, it's you're going to see an exponential increase in deaths on the street. What do you mean? Meth, you know, fentanyl, everyone understands that you get exposed to fentanyl, eventually you're going to die. It's just opioid addiction is a progressive illness that ends in death. And particularly with fentanyl now, you can't judge what you're getting. You overdose in, a pro, in, a, in you know, in accidentally, you die. Uh, that's the, the natural history of opioid addiction. But meth addiction is different. You can go for long periods of time with meth and then Late in the game, you start getting medical problems and die suddenly. You think Usually that's cardio. Oh, my goodness, yes. Absolutely. Dr. Drew, where do we get all your stuff? Well, be sure to go see that that uh, Wednesday at 3 o'clock show. That's my wife's crowning glory. It's uh, 3 o'clock, drdrew.tv, drdrew.com. Get it all there. It's called Ask Dr. Drew. And go go look at that. I think this audience would love that. We're Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 3 o'clock. But especially Thursday, we do this COVID analysis. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Did you recommend charges against Donald Trump? I really don't want to share something that the judge made a conscious decision not to share. I I will tell you that it was a process where we heard his name a lot. Uh, we definitely heard a lot about former President Trump, and we definitely discussed him a lot in the room. And I will say that... Uh, when this list comes out, you wouldn't – there are no major plot twists waiting for you. So this woman, does this jurors decide – this grand jurors decide to come out and talk about the indictment that may or may not be coming down for Donald Trump. And evidently there's a lot being handed down. And she'd be so disappointed and would feel like it was a waste of time, Martha McCallum, if there weren't indictments. To the point where uh, even on – I don't know, what was it MSNBC? I know Anderson Cooper had him on and CNN uh, – CNN, uh, even they couldn't believe that she was out there doing interviews. Isn't that crazy? This is the indictment of a former president. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean. And these are the people that are deciding it. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think it's fascinating to watch these different cases. And I think that um, 
We'll see if anything sticks. I think so far the president, former president, has been in a position where a lot of this has obviously not stuck to him. So, um, but yeah, no, it's crazy that they're coming out and talking. He, about here's it. more from that jurist, and actually, she is the jury for person. How many people was this a long list? It's not a short list. Um, I'm trying really hard to be careful with that because Judge McBurney had a hearing on the report, as I'm sure you know, and chose specifically to not release the list of people um, and to only release the certain portions of the report. And I do not want to imply in any way that my judgment is better than the judge. Um, so I, I've been trying to be really careful with that. Um, I will tell you, it's, it's not a short list. I mean, we saw 75 people and there are six pages of the report cut out, I think, if you look at the page numbers. So it's not. So we're talking about more than a dozen people? I would say that. Yes. Incredible. She's in charge. Yeah. So is it, I mean, these are going to be indictments of people that could be looking at prison time for trying to manipulate an election. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy that she's speaking out. It's crazy that uh, you know that you can just hear the mentality that has been around for a long time, which is like, well, you know, of course we had to do whatever we could to get him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you think about it in other venues as well, like the text messages at the FBI. So uh, it seems like there are different rules that apply uh, when the former president's at the center of a decision that should be. Legal should be handled exactly the way that um, you would expect it to be handled in justice in the justice system. So I want you to hear what they even Ellie, Ellie Honig, I guess he's their lawyer, and Anderson Cooper had to say about it. Cut 29. This is a horrible idea, and I guarantee you that prosecutors are wincing watching her go on this. I was wincing just <laughs> watching her eagerness yes. to, like, you know, hint at stuff. It's painful in that respect. This is a very serious prospect here. We're talking about indicting any person. You're talking about potentially taking away that person's liberty we're talking about potentially a former president for the first time in this nation's history. She does not seem to be taking that very right. seriously. There's no reason for her to be out talking. No. I mean, there's a, right, it's okay. a prosecutor's nightmare. She, <laughs> okay, I got it. I'm just saying this. This is it's so bizarre. It's, it, no, it's... it's... And, and he goes on to say that anybody, any like Trump's lawyers are going to challenge this and say... Of course they freaking, are. Are you kidding me? Of course they are. No, right. it gives them a perfect opportunity for appeal. So Martha, I don't have to tell you what's going on in East Palestine. It it seems to be a total train wreck, pun intended. And the President of the United States is going and he's supposed to be uh, received extremely well. I think he got 70% of the vote. The former President Donald Trump is there. He's going to be there today. He's bringing water. He's bringing some other uh, supplies. He's going to beat the current President there. And you could say, well, he had to be in Munich. Excuse me, he had to be in Warsaw. No, he didn't. He could have went right away. Could have well, went This that happened week. on February 3rd. Thank you. So uh, there's been plenty of time for the president to go. There's been plenty of time for the transportation secretary to go. I think it's really and, you know, we'll be watching, obviously, the former president's visit there today as he goes to Ohio. He's a candidate for 2024. So is Nikki Haley. So now is Vivek Ramaswamy. So you've got people who are running for president. uh, So they have every right to go see this situation up close. It's bizarre to me how much the federal government has run away from this situation. And you could feel that the narrative, Brian, really sort of take shape yesterday when we started to hear from everybody, the EPA, Pete Buttigieg, you know, this is Norfolk Southern's fault. 
You know, it's their problem. They need to fix it. Governor Mike DeWine has said this. they're the ones who are at fault here. They need to fix it. Now, I mean, obviously, they share a huge portion of the blame here. But what's the infrastructure? Why do we have a thousand train wrecks going on across the I country couldn't believe that. a year? Were you it's, shocked it's unbe- at that? It's, yeah. No, it, it's unbelievable. So it's very clear to me that there was like a communications discussion. Okay, remember, they're the ones to blame, not us. It's not our problem that this happened. So I think um, – you know, also remember that the controlled burn decision, the the decision to say pipe it off into this trench and we're going to control burn these chemicals, that decision was made by Governor Mike DeWine, who told me this on my show and anybody who was listening, and Governor Shapiro of Pennsylvania. They said this is the advice we were given. This was the least explosive way to get rid of this stuff. And so we signed off on that decision. I'm not saying if that was – the wrong decision. It may have been the best of all of, of several bad decisions. I'm just saying that those were government decisions that were made. They they signed off on the okay of the controlled burn. And what they were afraid of is an explosion that would send yes, these shrapnel into the town and, you know, chop people up. But then I'm watching Tucker with, with these chemical experts on that night and he said the craziest decision he's never heard of this control uh, burn situation, yeah. this intentional incineration. So a lot of people are a lot of people want to get answers, and because of the pandemic, and a lot of the questions that they failed to answer correctly, and the condemnation for people that question, nobody wants to believe any of the science. Nobody wants to drink the water. Nobody wants to. Uh, everyone is saying to themselves, I, "I feel some. I smell something different in the air. I I feel like I have a headache." We don't know if it's psychosomatic or it's real. I'm sure people aren't making it up, but I'm sure people are saying to themselves. Am I being poisoned to death? My house is now worth a third of what it was. Now, can it come back? Perhaps. But if you're 67 years old. I always think of um, living in this area, Brian, is we all remember when we were told that Ground Zero was safe. It wasn't. Right. And we've now seen the tragic outcome of that on people who work down there in the pits for years you know, cleaning it up, taking care of what happened down there, who came away from it with cancer and horrific health complications. So we know from many experiences around this country that when it comes to these kinds of things, you often don't know how bad it is until much later. Martha, I guarantee you, with all your area of expertise, if they ever said to you, I need, uh, Martha, I want you to be Secretary of Commerce. I want you to be Secretary of Transportation. Even if you didn't have a necessarily expertise, you'd get people around you and you'd go. Whatever it is, if there's a, if there's a, if you're a governor of a state, how can you possibly know Everything. You're going to handle a flood. You're going to be handle a hurricane. You're going to handle a tidal wave. There's so many things that happen. What you do is you get experts around you and you go. You make your best decision. I don't understand them not wanting to go and Pete Buttigieg not wanting to do his job, not wanting to go down to the docks and spending weeks there just saying, I need to see what's going on with the supply chain. Of course, I don't know how to drive a barge. Of course, I don't know. But let me see it. I need to see the problem. I need to talk to the experts. I want to see the frustration in front of my eyes. So here he is with George Stephanopoulos. Cut one. When are you going to go to East Palestine? Well, I am planning to go, and uh, our folks were on the ground from the first hours. I do want to stress that the NTSB needs to be able to do its work independently. But when I go, the focus is going to be on action. Look, I was mayor of my hometown for eight years. We dealt with a lot of disasters, natural and human. And one of the things I noticed very quickly is that there's two kinds of people who show up when you have that kind of disaster experience. People who are there because they have a specific job to do and are there to get something done, and people who are there to look good and have their picture taken. When I go, it will be about action on rail safety. 
Okay. He went on to say, I do think that it's important to speak out about that. And I could have spoken out sooner. And I'm making sure that we are focused on actions that are making a difference. Before I say what I've been saying, what do you think about his statement and explanation? I think it's unbelievable. Honestly, even if I look at it in the most, A, the responsibility is to go there and do your job, right? He he just sort of said that, and he said, oh, you know, lesson learned, I guess, to some extent. This has been going on for a long time. As you pointed out, during the supply chain problem, it's been going on. The other side of it is, if I look at it just from a cynical, political way, if this is someone who he's been talked about as maybe having an interest in the presidency, go back to Rahm Emanuel. Never let a crisis go to waste, folks. So even if even if you want to look at it from a purely cynical political perspective, he should be there. He should be there showing people that he's listening to them, that he understands what's going on, that he's marshalling the forces of government to help them in every way that he can. So it just makes him come across, honestly, as I don't know. What is it? Is it lazy? Is it fearful? I I, I can't understand I why he rejects these opportunities to look like a leader right. and do his job. And who's he remind you of? Kamala Harris. Same thing. You know, you got this resume, you got this opportunity, you work for an 80-year-old guy. that probably not, And you could, you, could be the, you could be the heir apparent. You could easily be a contender. And you go to Oxford, you go in the military, and you don't want to do your job at transportation? I, I don't know. I, I just don't get it. And it, you just contrast it with Yunkin, who's everywhere. And, but the most effective is DeSantis. DeSantis doesn't walk around. You don't say, wow, he's got the looks of Gavin Newsom. He's got the poise. He's got the designer jeans and suits and the, the, the suit, you know, the jacket over the shoulder. And he's got all the celebrity friends. No, Governor DeSantis just grinds it out every day. Mm-hmm. And he does a lot of things on instincts. And I'm also, and I think I told you this, uh, Jared Kushner said that he'd be the first call I got every day during the pandemic. And he would just ask for all the numbers. He needs to see your numbers. He needs mm-hmm. to see it. Not a staffer. Jared, I need to see the numbers. What about this? How about this? I don't understand why we're doing right. this. No, it's a great point. And it's energy for work, right? The energy and commitment to doing your job. Um, I, I just feel like a lot of these folks are phoning it in. They're still Zoom calling around thinking that this is a way to get anything done in a country. And, you know, when if he does decide he wants higher office, I, I can't for the life of me. You know, he's great at talking. He's great at going around and talking. Maybe that's why he like. I mean, I remember being in a room where he was campaigning in New Hampshire um, back in the last presidential cycle. This is not going to this isn't going to cut it. People get it. People see through this when mm-hmm. you're not showing up to do your job. And, um, you know, Mayor P, he always manages to show up on the Sunday show, though. He will. Uh, Ronna McDaniel says, Buttigieg couldn't fix potholes as a mayor. Tom Peugeot, the RNC response director. Buttigieg couldn't even fix potholes as a mayor. He needed dominoes. Dominoes paid for the tar. Their own that put five thousand dollars in. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time in South Bend, um, and you know, very mixed reviews on Mayor Pete. Ian Holworth, the Washington Examiner, says the biggest disaster to strike South Bend, Indiana, was Pete Buttigieg. So he opened himself up, pretending as if South Bend was Jakarta. You know, <laughs> during the tsunami. Who knows? Uh, we're going to take a short time out, come back and find out exclusively what Martha has put together for her show. Will she have a band? Will this finally be an hour, a pure musical hour, mm-hmm. where you finally sing the news? Will that be something you're working on? We'll find out if Martha Stick answers around. the questions. She will show up. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, 
we're back. And in case you don't remember, a few minutes ago, I just wondered. I don't have any sources, and it's rare for me to throw <laughs> things out without any sources. I just said to myself, would Martha ever do a whole hour of just music like, or sing the news? When the prompter comes up, yeah. I would make it. Well, you know, if you, if you ask me, like, if you weren't doing what you're doing, what would be your other dream job? You would job? like to do that? That would be it. Really? Can to you stand sing? on a stage and sing really well. A friend of mine went to the Carrie Underwood concert last night, and she sent me some videos. Do you know that feeling of being able to stand on a stage and just have, like, hold the whole crowd's attention and be able to use your voice like that, I think would be phenomenal. I know my voice. I Have you tried? Have you got training? <laughs> I used to do musicals in high school, but really? I, I don't think I'm quite so to it's the not gonna happen square today. garden level. I, I think not, but that's, you know, I mean, if you could have, if you, what's your, what's your other dream job? If I'm you having, didn't do this? Let me see if I was going to do this. If you weren't doing this. Um, is- probably masseuse. I like to rub people. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, and I, I'm just I, I gonna, gonna let that lie. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I, let. I don't think I'm gonna take that one any, anywhere. Actually, <laughs> no, I gotta. Th- I gotta. That think was not it. the answer that I expected. You heard? Okay. I thought I'm, maybe professional soccer player. Uh, but you know, I gotta think possible. What's like no, feasible? No, I'm not thinking possible. I oh. said, what's your other dream job? If you didn't have, the can job? I answer next time you're on? Yeah, sure. Who's I on? your... That was such a hard question, Brian. I, Sorry. Not, like I, re- I didn't really have a fallback plan. Like, I'm not talking fallback plan. I'm talking fantasy job. Starring on Broadway or fall- at Madison Square Garden was not my fallback <laughs> so plan. So if you did not get hired by Fox, you would not have gone to Broadway? Well, I mean, you know, I guess I could have. <laughs> you could have. It's not impossible, but <laughs> right. probably not likely. You'd have to get an agent. Yeah, And you didn't want us to do that again. I would not be a masseuse, though. It wouldn't be? No. no. That would not be my no, agent. I, I probably the last thing I want to be is masseuse. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people you don't want to touch. Right. Right. And you have to. Because they got a gift certificate. Yeah. No, there's just too many, too many, bad, way, too many you, bad images. And when someone walks in and gives you a gift certificate of your masseuse, you got to feel like you're doing it for free because you don't even remember when the guy Getting bought paid. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so who's on your show? That's an interesting theory. So um, <laughs> we are going to talk to the former vice president, Mike Pence, today. Um, he's going to be joining us, and we're looking forward to that. Mike Gallagher is also with us. We're going to be talking Ukraine and China and all of the – Huge stakes of what's going on in the world right now, which I think is the biggest story happening. Um, so we're looking forward to having him on today as so well. So a couple of things. Also, I mean, Cardinal Dolan's going to come by because today in is— In studio? Yes, because today is Ash Wednesday, and it's the first day of Lent for Catholics. And we're going to talk a little bit also about what happened at um, in the revival uh, at Ashbury University. And I know um, I was watching this morning that Ainsley was down there. I think it's a fascinating story. So we're going to get his thoughts on on that as well. A bunch of um, Gen Zs going down and uh, staying there until they find God. God. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of people came, and uh, and it's going to be tonight again. I think. I think they have one more. Yeah, she said. So Martha, back to on the serious stuff about war. I I just la- I just the follow up question to everybody who says this is not worth it. We shouldn't play out. We should enforce our borders. Is so we should allow Ukraine just to have gotten destroyed. We should just let Russia take an entire country. That That's okay. I mean, to me, that's not an option. It's never been an option with America. They are an ally of ours. They're not in NATO. They're not a perfect country. But to me, you have a choice. You just give people the weapons to win. The president has to give them everything to win because he doesn't have more than a year. They got a year. They're running out of people, and America's running out of patience. But this is totally, well, in my view, worth I, it. I saw that Evgeny Prog- Progosian, head of the, um, 
the Wagner Group said he thinks it's going to take two years for them to for take them to the east, for them to take the east part of Ukraine. And I, I understand what you're saying. I have a lot of mixed feelings um, about this. I try to read both sides of what people are saying on the on the issue of Ukraine. We clearly don't want Vladimir Putin to win. That we know. We don't want him to take over a country that he invaded that um, has brought tremendous death and destruction and made a lot of children orphans. It's a horrific war crimes. It's a horrific, horrific situation. Um, You know, one of the clearest reasons is because of what would happen after that. Then you would have them beginning to lean on other NATO states, which obviously we have a commitment to to protect. The other thing that I think would happen is that it also would embolden China. I think that then President Xi looks at a weakened America uh, and sees it as um, a great time to take Taiwan. So, so that you know, it's chess pieces. And when the chess pieces move, it's not just. I don't think the strongest argument is we have to protect them because they got invaded. Terrible things happen around the world all the time. I think the strongest argument is what would happen after that. That's an argument. I would also add this. We showed weakness by giving them blankets and MREs originally. Thanks, Martha. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.